0: Welcome to the Live Big Podcast featuring Dr. Derek Greer, where we teach principles from God's Word that will empower you to live big. For more information, visit DerekGreer.com. Here's Dr. Greer. All right, today we're going to continue in our Seven Churches series, and we're going to do something pretty amazing. I'm going to be really ambitious today. I'm going to try to finish the letters to the two churches or two churches in one sunday and i'm going to pick up the latter to uh the rest of the uh, later in, in the year and a little bit later uh, you probably understand uh why uh but what what i want you to see even before we begin today and i've hinted at this throughout the series the commendations, the warnings, and the promises that were given to these seven churches uh, certainly applied to the churches that they were written to, but they also have a dual application uh, in church history. Now, the letter to the church uh, of Ephesus represented the first century apostolic church. Uh, the letter to the church of Smyrna uh, represented the age of persecution which was roughly 100 to 300 AD. Uh the letter to the church of Pergamos represented the imperial age about 300 uh to 600. Now none of these numbers are exact. Historians will will debate the edict of Milan was around I believe 313ish uh, I could, got, I may have that slightly wrong, uh, but uh, roughly these are round figures, and I'm just giving you a general sense uh, of church history. But uh, during the the imperial age, uh, Christians were granted uh, legal status in Rome, and eventually Rome became a church state. So this again is the imperial age uh, that was written to uh, or reflected in the letter to Pergamos. Today. Uh, we're going to look at Thyatira, which represents the age of the papacy, and in a couple of moments we will move on uh, to uh, the, the the next church. But this was a period where the Eastern and Western popes uh, received temporal power. They had earthly power. Now, up to that time, uh, popes largely just had power as it related to spiritual things and church matters. But uh, during this period, uh, we began to see the popes actually began to uh, lay hands or approve of emperors and and, and all the rest. And uh, it was a real shift in the history of the church and the history of the world. So let's get started in Revelation chapter 2 verse 18. I've already prayed and he says unto the angel or the bishop of the church in Thyatira. Now, this was the least important of the uh, seven cities. And then he goes on and says what? Write Now, God chose to commit the gospels to writing so that every minister would have a check. And no illiterate or no literate better person will be at the, the mercy of another person when it comes to understanding God. And I'm so grateful for that. And you got to learn to be like the Bereans and, and check up behind your pastor. This is why, I preach line upon line. You know, sunlight is one of the, the the best disinfectants. And and man, I give it to you clear and plain, and you can look at the scripture as I teach it, so that you know that you are are learning from the the, the word of God. And one of the biggest lies that we can tell ourselves is I don't need to write it down I'll remember it uh, but God gave us this message in a way that it cannot be forgotten he said write these things says the son of God now in the ancient world to call someone a son meant that that person represented the character uh, of uh, of the one that they were calling that person a son of for for example the sons of Belial uh, that was a actually it was it was a a, a, a pejorative term that, that was used to call someone a bad word. And it was saying, you were uh, like your daddy, worthless. Belial means worthless. Uh, also, the disciples were called sons of thunder, meaning that they had thunderous. These two particular disciples, James and John, had thunderous character. They got angry and they would get mad and they would scream and they would, would, would yell. Even today, we call people a son of a gun, okay? And, and what we're saying there uh, uh, is that, you, you know, actually we know what What's being said there um, when you're called a son of a, a a gun. Now, this is the reason they tried to, to stone Jesus when he called himself the son of God. Now, they didn't understand uh, the virgin birth, and that wasn't a frequently discussed. Mary knew about it, uh, but uh, they, they really weren't referring, or Jesus wasn't really referring only to his virgin birth. Uh, but he was really saying, as far as the... the uh, Uh, crowds that the Pharisees and Sadducees were concerned, what Jesus was saying is that he only acted as God would. Here's the question. If people watch what you act like, would they guess who your father is? He said, these things says the son of God, the one who shares the exact nature and imprint of God's character, who has eyes like a flame of fire, fire. Now, this may seem strange to us, but there was no electricity back then. You didn't just flip on a switch. The only light you had at night was either from a torch or a candle or, or, or a fireplace. So uh, fire was associated with light and, and also heat for, for cooking. But what we see here is the fact that the light came from Jesus' eyes tells us that he has the innate ability to see through any darkness. Jesus knows all and he sees all. And his feet like brass. We talked about this earlier. Brass is a very, very, very heavy metal. And if Jesus puts his foot down, there's not a whole lot anyone can do. And he said, I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience. Now, all he says here is that he knows these four things without commending them for these things, meaning these things existed, but Jesus was not impressed. And as for your works, The last are more than the first. Now, Jesus is always looking for opportunities to praise us. And as parents, we should look for opportunities not just to criticize, but to what? Praise our children. And, and although their works were obviously not all that, uh, he focused on the fact that at least they were getting Better now. My attitude is, if I improve at least one percent every day, I'll eventually reach one hundred percent. He said. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. Now this is the this is the moment in the letter, and, and no one enjoys criticism. No one likes to be dealt with uh, in this. Manner, but but it's moments like this that really help us grow in our relationship with God and help us become everything that God created and wants us to become. You know, no one wants to, or no one likes going to the dentist, but it's necessary. No one likes stepping on a scale, but it is necessary. Sometimes you don't even like coming to church, but it is necessary. Really, really important. Children want to do what they want, but adults do what is necessary. It says, I have a few things against you because you allow, you permit, you tolerate Certain things. That's why when I hear words like tolerance and I read the Bible, I, I, I get I get concerned because you know I, I wouldn't tolerate someone uh, harming my child. I would not tolerate uh, someone uh, doing uh, a wrong uh, in, in my presence, at least as, as much as it depended on me. I'm not trying to control everyone uh, around me, but. Uh, uh, here the, the issue was what they tolerated what they allow and you can't complain against or about what you allow this church had a problem it was too tolerant and allowed too many things and Jesus was concerned about this they had sacrificed the truth for 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 concepts that have very little to do with scripture he said I have a few things against you because you allow watch this that woman now most scholars believe that the woman mentioned here was the pastor's wife. I'm glad we don't have that, that problem in, in this house, but but how many you know that when someone refers to someone as that woman, it's not a good thing? So Jesus had a little bit of attitude here. And they were saying, y'all are tolerating. The problem with the church here is you're tolerating some things you should not put up with. And it says, who calls herself... A prophetess now, how many of y'all know some people who 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 called the, themselves into a role that God never did? Uh, the old folks used to say, you know uh, some people were sent, but others just went and it 's really important that that each of us learn to to both find and stay in our particular lane and we begin and if we begin to step into roles that god 's not called us to, this is when we get into trouble. God only rewards us for the things that he has called us to do. Now, this woman called herself a prophetess. Some people may have called uh, this woman a prophetess, but what mattered is what God called her, who calls herself a prophetess to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. Don't, don't shut me off here. This is, this is important. She was telling people, she was whispering in people's ears. She was saying from across the pulpit that the Lord was okay with things that were not okay. Now, you may have noticed already a pattern in these letters. Now, the book of Revelation is all about the perspective of the resurrected Jesus. That's why his language is a little bit different than than what we heard on earth. Now, his character is absolutely consistent, but everything is written from his perspective. It's written from an eternal perspective. And what we see here is that the resurrected Jesus hasn't changed, and he's deeply concerned about the sexual and devotional lives of his children. And here's the deal. If we keep getting the basics wrong, how can we be trusted with more advanced responsibilities? And then in verse 21, he said, listen, I I know what you're doing. I know what's going on. Lightning didn't strike. I didn't wipe you guys out. And, you know, God's grace is, is really incredible. He is full of mercy. But it says here, and I gave her, Time Meaning we all make mistakes and God will give us time to address those mistakes, but not unlimited time. Pay attention to what I'm saying. Now, we, all of us were in a mess when God found us, but God will not give us forever. He'll tell you, tell you, tell you, tell you, tell you a hundred times. But eventually there'll come a time that he will pull out the rug and we must work while it's still day. He said, and I gave her time. Now, that's one of the most merciful things God has done, is given each of us time when we know we've done wrong, we're not doing right. He let the sun rise and set another day. He let us feel the wind against our skin. He let us live in these bodies, see with these eyes, hear with these ears. He gave her time, and that's what life is. All it is, is time and space to repent, it's it's another opportunity to give it right. He gave us yesterday, the day before, the year before, the years and years before. He gave us all this time to turn to Him. He said, "I gave her time, just like He's given you and I time to repent." Watch this, because he, He's not pulling punches here. As people say weird things, like Jesus didn't talk about these things in the Bible. I mean, you can't be clearer. Uh, Than what's being said here. Not only did Jesus say this; it's the resurrected Jesus gave her time to repent of her what sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Wow! What she did, she got stubborn. She dug her heels in and said, "This is irrelevant. You can talk about all those other areas. Don't don't talk about this." area. let me tell you something as a pastor. the the The, 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 men- the messages that I get in the most trouble about is when I talk about either sex or money. Why? Because those are often the things that become the God in our lives. And what happens is whatever you put before God by default becomes your God. Whatever you won't sacrifice, put on the altar for God is ultimately your de facto God. And then in the next verse, he begins with indeed, meaning Jesus gets an attitude here. He says, indeed, I will cast her into a bed of sickness and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation. And Jesus is, is like, lady, you like getting people in bed so much, I, I'll give you a bed, all right. No, Jesus ain't nobody to play with. You keep playing with the devil if you want to, but sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. Now, don't look at me in that tone of voice. We, we've all been here. We've all been through this moment. Uh, I'm not a stranger to it. You're not a stranger to it. We all have to make life choices. And what God was calling this church to do is make a choice about what they tolerated and accepted as normal in the house of God. It said, I'll do this unless there's an option, unless they repent of their deed. This is the new covenant. This is not the old covenant. And Jesus is saying that, hey, if you turn, and this this is my heart, he's saying, I want you to turn. Listen, I'm I'm not trying to harm you, kill you. I don't want to go there. But, hey, you must make an about face. You must make a U-turn on the road you are traveling if you are going to really experience the fullness of my favor. Unless they repent of their what? D. So people thought they were getting away with it. Uh, but, uh, you know, just give it time. Life has a way of catching up with, with, with all of us. And it's amazing. A lot of us, when you hit about 40, that's when your life really begins to show on your face. And uh, uh, the deal is your life will catch up with you now in the interest of time and also I, I feel everybody fidgeting and getting nervous and, and, and upset and everything but you know what I, I'm gonna I'm gonna continue to lean in but in the interest of time I'm gonna have to move to, to the book of, of Sardis you can read the rest on your own but these are important 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 messages and lessons and we must learn from them. They're not designed to condemn us. They're designed to help us be wiser and more circumspect in our living. Verse 1, chapter 3. And to the angel of the church in Sardis, right. Now, Sardis, unlike uh, the the, uh, 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 city we just read about, Thyatira, uh, was a very, very wealthy city. It was uh, actually at one point, it was considered uh, an impregnable a city. Uh, according to Herodotus, who was a, a Greek uh, historian, now before the Persians attacked uh, Sardis, uh, Cyrus the Great, by the way, came, you know, all the way from Persia to, to, to destroy the city. He was conquering the world, and, and this city was, was in his path. And the, the issue was when, Sardis, uh, when Cyrus got there, he couldn't find a way up the ridge on which the city was was built. And you should see on your screen now, uh, an image of that, that city that the city was built or at least the palace of the king was built on that cliff. And when enemies came, everybody would go behind those walls uh, uh, with the, the the king. So what Cyrus did, he's really smart. He offered a reward to the first soldier that could find a way uh, up the, the, the cliff. So uh, one day, you know, one of the Persian soldiers were, 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 were sitting there and they're watching the city and, and one of these soldiers uh, from uh, uh, Thyatira, I'm sorry, uh, from, we're, we're Sardis, I'm so sorry. Uh, one of the soldiers from, from Sardis uh, dropped his helmet from the side of the wall of the city and the soldier watched as that soldier came down from the wall and uh, that soldier got his helmet, and then he went back up using a secret trail in order to retrieve his helmet. So when that soldier saw the secret trail, that was the very trail that evening that Cyrus brought his army up the hill. And then amazingly, he found the city unguarded by soldiers. What happened here? The people of Sardis were so confident in their natural defenses that they no longer even watched. And this is in many respects, the church of Sardis represents our current age, overconfident Protestantism. And then he says, these things says he who has the seven spirits of God. So this is the one who is complete and actually unlimited in his control and influence On the Holy Spirit and the seven stars, the one who has ultimate authority over every authentic and legitimate church. And he says, I know your works. Again, we talked about Thyatira. Now we're talking about Sardis. And he's using the same pattern. And he reveals something about himself. He commends it. Well, first he commends the church, reveals something about himself. And then he uh, begins to talk about their works. God pays attention to not only what we believe and what we feel, but what we do. He says, I know your works that you have a what name, that you have a reputation, and how true of that how true is that of the uh, 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 Protestant church today? Uh, I mean the Protestant Reformation has swept over uh, the globe. It's still growing in Africa, It's still growing mightily in South. America. Uh, there is a, a tremendous church that still exists in China, though. Uh, in many places, it, it's not legal. He says, I know your works that you have a name, that you are alive, but you're really dead. Now, here's what I know. Uh, the devil stops fighting dead people because they're no longer a threat. And the day the devil stops uh, 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 fighting me and stop, stops having, stop having people have something to say about me, I know it's time to retire. I know that I'm, I, I'm done, and it's time for me to move on. I want you to notice something about this church at Sardis. They faced no persecution. They had no struggle. But the real problem was they would soon lose their fight. You can lose a battle, but if you lose your fight, it is over and they had lost their fight. And he said, Be watchful. You see how this applies to uh, just the history of Sardis in general. And what can happen is your uh, past success could cause you to become overconfident. The church's past success and in, in previous decades and, and centuries can cause us to become overconfident. And they stopped paying attention to. Threats. They expected the historic walls. They expected their historic wealth to protect them until it didn't. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. And Jesus was saying to these people, he was saying to this church, he was saying to you and I, I know you're lying flat on your back. And I know the referee is counting down and he's almost at 10, but it is not hopeless. You can get back up on your feet again. You can come back. It is not too late. God is still rooting for you. God is still rooting for us. I know we didn't do everything right. I know we got some things wrong, but God is still pulling for us. And whenever we are down to nothing, God is up to something. And this is what was happening to this church. They were they, they were pretty much dead, barely alive. And, and God wanted to use this moment to revive them and call them back to first things. For I have not found your works perfect, Or complete, meaning these folks were not finishers. I have not found your works perfect before what? God. So again, the issue was not that they weren't, uh, or they hadn't run a race. The, The problem was they weren't finishers. And many start out fast, but God is looking for folks that will finish. It's how you finish that everyone will ultimately remember. Skip to verse five, and we're gonna be through for the morning. And then Jesus, I love this, this part of each letter. Each letter, there's a promise to the, to an overcomer. And he says, he who what over, Comes, You see, God did not put his spirit in you. God did not give his promises to you. I'm not feeding you week after week with the word of God in order for you to lose. God wants us to kill it. God wants us to win. God wants us to overcome. God wants us to become victorious. God is not, not in this thing for us to experience another defeat. He said, he who what overcomes, God wants you to win in life shall be clothed in white garments. Now in the Bible or in Hebraic thought, white garments represented holiness. But in Roman thought, and he was writing this to the Roman world, white garments represented victory. So we see here that it's our dedication to the Lord, our holiness, us being set apart, putting God first, that's gonna cause us to have real victory in life. He who overcomes shall be clothed in what? White. Garments. The only reason, the only reason the devil is fighting and trying to talk you out of your faith so much and so hard is because he knows that's the only thing that can defeat him. The Bible says that this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. So again, the reason he wants you to get out of faith, the reason he wants you to stop listening to me, the reason he wants you to get you out of this book is because he knows that it's the word of God that will ultimately defeat him and stop him in your life.